good evening. It's good to see you all here tonight. If you want to go ahead and take out your Bibles or turn them on if that's what you do. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are some under the chairs. And if you need a Bible at home, please feel free to take that with you when you leave. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, we know that these words are true, and I pray that as we dive into them tonight, we would just come to better understand what they mean for us in our lives and better know how we should respond in light of this promise that you've made us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So how do you view strength? Is it physical, mental, emotional, spiritual? From a young age, we are bombarded with stories and movies about superheroes like Batman or Iron Man or Wonder Woman. And we're meant to idolize these as pillars of strength, fighting for the little guy. This promotes the idea that if you're physically strong enough, you can defeat anyone or anything. We also often see achievement as a way to avoid weakness. We think, if I can just get this promotion and climb the corporate ladder a little higher, then I'll be set. I only need a little more for it to be enough. How often do you face a challenge or difficult situation and say to yourself or to someone offering help, I got this, I don't need help, I'm good. Accomplishments, awards, money, status. These are all worldly signs of strength that we often put our hope in. But how do they sustain us in times of weakness? Well, tonight, our text shows us God's view of strength and weakness in our lives. And it is very different from these images of superheroes and standing strong on our own without help. Weakness is a hard thing to deal with, often so hard that we want to do anything we can to escape from it or power through it. What we're going to see tonight, though, is that only in our weakness can the fullness of God's power and grace shine through us. Only in our weakness can the fullness of God's power and grace shine through us. And to see this, I want to look at three things that this passage tells us about weakness. The first is that our weakness, our thorns, are gifts given to us by God. And then we're going to look at the promises that God has for us in the midst of our weakness. And finally, we'll talk about how we should respond in times of weakness. So first, the gift of weakness. Let's look at verse seven again. Paul says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And then he continues in verse nine with, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Paul says this thorn is given to him. He didn't ask for it but he views it as a really good thing, so much so that he will gladly boast about it. So we can understand this weakness 
this thorn as a gift. Now, before we talk about the ways this thorn is a gift, let's take a minute and briefly look at what this thorn is that was given to Paul. You see, it could be many things. A physical ailment, like losing his sight, an incurable illness. Some even think that Paul was referring to false teachers spreading lies about Jesus. Now, you may be thinking that a thorn is not that big of a deal. In your head, you might be picturing blackberries or rose bushes, and those certainly hurt when you tangle with them. But the word thorn that Paul uses here is translated from the Greek scallops, which means a sharp stake or sharp affliction that causes great trouble in the lives of those afflicted. So what are these thorns, these weaknesses? Well, Paul gives us a clue in verse 10 when he says, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Let's quickly look at these examples. I'm sure that we've all been insulted by people in our lives who don't agree with how we go about life or think they're better than us or smarter than us. And sometimes we just let it roll off our backs. But other times insults cut deep, especially when we are insulted by a close friend or relative. Then we have hardships, and those are defined as a condition that is difficult to endure, often involving suffering, deprivation, or oppression. It is a situation that happens not by your own doing, but is forced on you. And calamities are sudden distressing events that cause great stress and tension, like a disaster, your house burning down, an earthquake, flash flooding. And maybe these thorns don't connect with you. But that's okay, because God intentionally did not identify the exact nature of Paul's thorn. And he did that because he wanted all of his children to be able to relate to Paul's suffering, no matter what affliction or ailment they faced. If you knew exactly what Paul was suffering from, but had not experienced that in your own life, you would have doubts that this promise is for you. But this promise is intended for you. God makes this promise to all of his children. So why should we view our weakness as a gift from God? Because Paul did. See, first Paul tells us that it was given to him when he says a thorn was given me in the flesh. He doesn't say a thorn was inflicted upon me. No, his language is clearly that he's receiving this as a gift. And then the thorn is meant for Paul's good, to keep him from becoming conceited to humble him, to cause him to depend on the Lord for strength. It was good. And finally, Paul identifies it as being from God. You see, Satan sent this thorn to harm Paul, to discourage him in his mission. But God is so great and powerful that yes, he did allow this to happen. But he not only allowed it, God had ultimate control over the thorn. And he turned it for Paul's good, defeating the evil in it keeping him from becoming conceited. And we know this because Paul doesn't plead with Satan to take the thorn away. He pleads with the Lord, knowing that the Lord is in control of his thorn. So it's a gift because it was given to him. It was for his good, and it was from God. And since Paul's thorn was a gift, we should also view our thorns, our weaknesses, our hardships as gifts. About four years ago, my wife and I felt called to become foster parents. And while I had reservations and fears about this, 
we committed to the process and began taking kids into our home. Every placement had its own challenges, but this past winter, my family faced an immense hardship that we never saw coming. We had been caring for a high-needs child for over a year. We loved him like one of our own children and had even been prayerfully considering adopting him. Then due to a momentary lapse of judgment, he was removed from our home and our mission to care for foster children had ended. Questions of why, God? We thought we were following your plan for us. What is your plan now? What good can there be here flooded over us? It was and still is a hard and dark time in our journey. But there is light. Because in this, I have seen our relationship with God grow to new heights. I've seen our prayer life flourish. And I've seen the magnificent grace of God shine through our friends and family. Through this, God steered us away from prideful thoughts that we were the only ones that could provide the care this boy needed. He kept us humble and reliant on him. This painful thorn we have come to see as a counterintuitive gift from God. That doesn't make it unpainful, and it isn't easy, but we see the gift that it is. Paul's thorn, his weakness, was no small thing that could be flicked away. It had a purpose. It was a gift from God. Just like our new life situation, the pain of that can't be flicked away. The weakness you are going through right now can't be flicked away. It also has a purpose. It was given to you by God in love, and he is in control of your thorn, and it is for your good. So now that we've established our weakness as a gift from God, intended for our good, let's look at what promises he makes that we can hold on to in our times of suffering, in times when we face hardships. Look at verse 9 with me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He promises grace, and he promises power. My grace is sufficient for you. This is a promise from God. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the favor of God. Whether you believe you deserve it or not, he has freely given it to you. There's nothing you can do to get more grace from God, and there's nothing that you can do to have that grace taken away. Grace means that we have his approval, and he will care for us. Jesus' statement, my grace is sufficient for you, it doesn't have conditions attached to it. He doesn't say, my grace is sufficient for you after you've tried to solve your own problem. Or, my grace is sufficient for you in the future once you've shared the gospel with three of your friends. He doesn't say, my grace was sufficient for you, but then you sinned, so I have taken it away. No. He doesn't say any of that. He simply says, my grace is sufficient for you. His grace will meet your need because it is always available. It is today, right now. It will be tomorrow, and it will be forever. Now, this may be hard to grasp if we believe ourselves to be sufficient. If we believe that we can hold ourselves up, solve all of our afflictions, and stand independently, it is not until we realize and accept our own insufficiencies 
that we are not enough, that we truly see the sufficiency of God's grace, that his grace is enough. Grace is sufficient means that no matter what you're going through, if you rely on Jesus, if you draw your strength from him, his grace is enough to hold you up. Whether you think you deserve it or not in that moment, he will hold you up. His grace is always enough. Maybe you're a husband or father who prides himself on caring for your family, and then something happens that makes you feel like you have failed. His grace is sufficient for you. For me, several years ago, I thought I had everything under control in terms of caring for my family. We had a safe house, plenty of food, everything was going great. And then one morning, early, I awoke to the sound of scratching in the ceiling. Of course I ignored it, right? Thinking it would just go away. But it got worse. And I would hear the scratching in the walls while watching TV. The sounds, they started to make me anxious and would keep me from sleeping. So I did some investigating. I discovered rats were living in my house. Now some of you are thinking gross, right? And others are like in love with rats, right? Sweet little rats. Or you're sitting there wondering why I'm talking about rats. But you see, not all weaknesses are the same. Your weakness may not be a weakness for someone else. You may not even know what a we your weaknesses are. God knows what weakness to give you. I didn't know rats would make me anxious. It, but it was my job to care for and protect my family. And to me, those rats were a symbol I had failed. You see, I'd put my identity in being the caretaker of my family. And that's not a bad thing in itself. But I put it above my identity in Jesus. So God allowed those rats to infiltrate my life so I could see that I needed to rely on him for strength. He gave me grace when I was prideful. Your experience of weakness will likely be very different from mine. Maybe you're a student and you just failed a class and now you're not gonna graduate when you wanted to. His grace is sufficient for you. Maybe you're a mom and you just yelled at your kids and you just feel awful with guilt and shame for not giving them grace. His grace is sufficient for you. Maybe you've built your identity on your career and you have lost your job his grace is sufficient for you. Or maybe, maybe you have lost someone you love and you are struggling with grief. His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is enough. So Jesus continues his promise to Paul by saying, my power is made perfect in weakness. Now our society would say, what can be perfect in weakness? It is a bad thing. We want to hide from our troubles and escape from them. But Jesus is saying it is okay to be weak. In fact, it is God's design that we endure times of weakness, times with nagging thorns. And in those times, he wants us to realize the fullness and perfection of his power. And we can only see that when we are humble and putting our identity in him. When we are weak, God's power is on strength is put on display for all to see. In our weakness, God is glorified. In our weakness, Christ is exalted. In our weakness, God is using us 
to show the power and saving grace of Jesus to the world. He doesn't do this by taking away our pain. He does this by giving us a savior, by giving his own son for us to rely on for strength, the strength that we need to endure through weaknesses. He gives us Jesus. He gives us Jesus. So then how should we respond in times of weakness? Should we try to hide our difficulties, acting fake good, fearing judgment for being weak? Just put on a smile, right? Be cheerful and no one will know that you're struggling. As if we can hide our weaknesses from God. Of course we can't. He sees and knows everything. It is his will to give us these hardships to keep us dependent on him so that his power and grace can shine through us. So the first way we are called to respond is to pray. If we look down in verse 8, we see Paul pleading with Jesus to remove his pain. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. This is the first thing he did. He didn't try to buy his way out of suffering or turn to drugs or ask friends for help. He didn't even Google it. No, the first thing Paul did in response to this thorn he had been given was to seek the Lord in deep, passionate, and consistent prayer. God wants us to talk to him. He wants to hear our troubles. And he wants us to grow in relationship with him. You may think that praying for the same thing repeatedly shows a lack of faith. But Paul pleaded with the Lord three times. And in Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let your requests be made known to God. And in Gethsemane, Jesus, who had perfect faith, he prayed the same words three times, asking if there was a way for the cup of God's wrath to pass him by. We see this in Matthew 26, where he says, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found his disciples sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. While we can and should pray for the removal of these afflictions from our lives, and sometimes he does remove them. They are sent from God for our spiritual benefit. And we should also pray that his ultimate will, his ultimate purpose for them would be fulfilled. That his will would be done. Pray that we would have faith to hold fast to the Lord until he reveals his plan to us. God has the power to resolve our troubles at any time. If he does not answer our prayer the first time, or the second time, we need to continue in committed prayer, waiting patiently for his will to be done. So in times of weakness, we should first and foremost give ourselves to prayer, clinging to the Lord who has already saved us. In addition to prayer, we are also called to boast of our weaknesses. In verse 9 it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul responds, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
To boast typically means to talk with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about one's own achievements, possessions, or abilities. But Paul's not telling us that he's going to boast about healing his ailments or that he's going to continue to boast about his vision. No, he's going to talk about, he's going to boast about his weaknesses, the hardships and persecutions that he has faced. And he's going to do it gladly. He's not going to hide when he's struggling. He's going to speak of his troubles. So we should rejoice, as Paul did, that our God loves us so much that he gives us these weaknesses in order to keep us humble and to hold us closer to him. He wants us to rely on him. So we should boast in our weaknesses because when we do, his power is on display for all to see and we are drawn closer to him. It is important to note here that Paul is not talking about weaknesses in terms of sin or bad behavior. He is not saying that we should go on sinning in order to show God's strength to the world. Paul is clear in Romans 6 that we should not let sin rule over us. Sin does not glorify God. And while Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness, this does not also mean that his power is lacking or missing without our weakness. He's accomplishing his will through our weakness. Even though he doesn't need us, he wants to use us in his plan. And he does that by giving us thorns that cause us to rely on him. Earlier, I spoke of a difficult time for my family. And in the midst of that, I was having lunch with a relative who's not a believer in Jesus. And I've struggled in the past uh, to find openings to speak truth into this person's life. But that day, in the middle of our conversation, he says to me, I'm glad you have the faith you do. It sure seems to help in these tough times. Wow. Wide open door right in front of me. And what did I say? Yeah, it really does. Period. You see, I could have said something like, yeah, it's actually really hard. But what carries me through is knowing that no matter what challenges I face, I'm a child of God, and the grace he has promised me through Jesus is always enough to hold me up. Or, yes, having Jesus to rely on for strength in these tough times is the only thing that makes it possible to endure. Or probably a dozen other things would have been a better way to point this person to Jesus. But I wasn't ready to boast of my weakness. I wasn't ready to be vulnerable and admit that I needed Jesus. I wasn't ready to proclaim the magnificent grace and mighty power of Jesus that was actually holding me up. I wasn't ready to glorify God by saying that I was insufficient, that I'm not strong enough on my own, and without the grace of God, I would have crumbled during that time. But you see, Paul is telling us that we are called to do just that. We are called to speak of our weaknesses gladly in order to bring glory to God. And in order to do that, we have to be prepared. We have to be ready to be vulnerable for his sake. Has God opened a door like that for you? Were you ready to boast gladly of your weakness? The third way we should respond when we face hardships, insults, persecutions, calamities, is with praise. Praise of our Savior who came before us, living the perfect life, 
bearing the ultimate thorn. Jesus took that thorn for you and for me while hanging on a cross for crimes he didn't commit. We put him there, and in his darkest moment, God's grace was sufficient for him. And Jesus' faith in that put God's power on display for all to see. What power in this world is greater than giving your son's own life for the sake of broken people and then raising him from the dead to give us new life, to bring us back to him? What power is greater than that? Are you someone who is experiencing weakness right now? And if you are, what kinds of things do you use to cope and get through it? If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, where do you draw your strength from? And if you have, do you draw your strength from him? What forms of worldly power do you rely on? Do you rely on money to get you through weak times? What will you rely on when you lose your job, when you encounter massive medical bills, when your student loans are due? Will your money last? Do you eat or drink your way through the pain? I know when I'm having a rough day, I love to open the pantry, pick some comfort food. It's gonna make me feel better, right? Is one bowl of chips enough? Maybe two? Sometime the bag runs out. And maybe that night, just maybe, I feel a little better. But the next morning, I'm not saying, oh man, those chips last night changed my life. <laughs> it's not great anymore, right? Of course, I will probably repeat this pattern, even though I know that chips don't bring hope. Do you go on vacation to escape from it? Vacations end. And when we come home, we are still broken people in need of God's grace. Maybe you chase after experiences and worldly pleasures that bring adrenaline rushes. How many are enough to hold you up? Or do you numb the pain by drinking a little too much? These are all quick fixes, or rather, the illusion of a quick fix. But they don't bring lasting relief. The only lasting relief is this promise of God's grace being enough, being sufficient. Why? How can that be true? Because God gave his own son the ultimate weakness. Jesus lived a perfect life and suffered a perfect death, and in doing so, the power and strength of God was glorified. 2 Corinthians 13.4 reads, For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Jesus knew that in his weakest moment, God the Father was glorified. His power was on display for all to see. Every one of you in this room tonight has a purpose here on earth to glorify God in all that we do. We see this in Isaiah 60, 21. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. And also in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, where it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our purpose here is not to glorify ourselves, we aren't here to make ourselves look good. Our purpose is to glorify God. Jesus was sent here to bring glory to God through the cross. 
Paul was sent here to bring glory to God while facing persecution. You and I, we are here to bring glory to God. And he's telling us right here that when we are weak, he is strong. When we are weak and draw our strength from him, he is glorified. When we are weak, his grace is sufficient for us. The insults, the hardships, the persecution, the calamities, we must not hide them. We must not run from them because through them, God is glorified. We don't need quick fixes when we are afflicted. We need Jesus. Jesus is the true and better superhero, the only superhero that we can put our hope in for lasting relief. We need to be secure in the promise that God has already made us, that his grace is sufficient for us, that his power is made perfect in our weakness. Father, we thank you for giving us Jesus.